welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. While you're turning to John chapter 4, probably a very familiar passage to most Christians who've been in church for any amount of time. And um, I'm going to read 10 verses, the first 10 verses, but really we're going to kind of track through most of this chapter. And today I don't want us to, if you've read or studied or heard 20 messages on John chapter 4, as I often pray and ask God when I read a passage or study a passage to let me see it, experience it in a way I've never had before. The Bible is clear. I believe God is clear that his word is active, it's breathing, it's alive, cuts like a two-edged sword. And I believe every time we open up a scripture, I think you can read John three sixteen, and every time it's alive and relevant for that minute when you read it. And so let's pray personally that God would allow us to see this passage in a way that will help us, in a way that will ultimately help others. Would you stand as we honor God's word, believe it's absolute truth, I hope you believe it, I hope you have faith and confidence that he will never leave you, will never forsake you, he desires for your salvation and for your relationship with him. John chapter 4, starting with verse 1, and therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more people than John, although Jesus himself never baptized anyone. By the way, that's how rumors get started. It's not the message. After hearing this, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria, King James says. He needed to go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being tired, weary with his journey, sat thus on the well. Jesus was fully God. He was fully man. Don't miss, this speaks of his humanity. He's tired, he's weary, he's thirsty. And it was about the sixth hour. Now there's a lot of argument about that, but I'm gonna go with 12 o'clock. Noon, while he's there, there comes a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were going away into the city to buy meat or food. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? Jesus answered and said unto her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to thee, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Don't miss verse 10, please, if you don't hear anything else. Jesus says to this woman, 
if you only knew the gift that was available from the one who's asking, you would ask him for that gift. This is a very evangelistic message about our desire, our need, our biblical mandate to be witnesses for him. In this passage, we're going to see the example of evangelism from the Savior and from a Samaritan. Don't miss this. Jesus witnessed. That's kind of interesting. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. And if Jesus felt the need to witness, and then he commanded us to witness, I think he wants us to witness. I think he wants us to evangelize. What you're also going to see, and I know you're still standing, relax, it's okay. What you're also going to see is that Jesus related to people differently. In chapter 3, he's talking to this bright, intelligent man of the Jews, Nicodemus, esteemed, honored, probably wealthy. And he was pretty blunt with him. You've got to be born again. But now he's talking to this lady, a Samaritan, who's probably ashamed, probably a little introverted, talking to Jesus, and he treats her differently. But she needed the gospel. And Nicodemus in chapter 3 needed the gospel. People need the gospel. What's wrong with this world today? Not enough gospel. Well, there's enough of it. It's just not being shared enough. What would change the hearts and minds of some lunatics in Washington? The gospel. Honestly, the gospel. What would change the hearts and minds of that seemingly demonic co-worker? The gospel. What would change the hearts and minds of the kids in school today? Other than a good spanking from their parents. The gospel. That's what's wrong with the world today. We need to present the gospel. It's what we're here to do. I want to preach on this thought, the Savior and the Samaritan. When we pray, specifically, I want you to pray for Lexi Scott. I just got a text from her mom. She's digressing. There's been a lot going on this week. We've been praying for Lexi for a long time. I told her we would pray specifically for her. She's kind of losing some function in her arms and legs and um, just a lot going on. So when we pray, ask God to open our hearts and minds to his word and pray especially for Lexi Scott. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that we would receive from you today what you would have us. God, we know that you have called us, mandated us to share the good news of the gospel. May we be motivated, encouraged by your Holy Spirit and by your word today to do what you've called us to do. And God, today, collectively, we pray for Lexi. God, you know what's going on. You know, we know what she's been through and this family's been through over the last several years. And God, we pray as humbly and sincerely as we know how for your will to be done. We pray believing that you have all power and you could touch her physically 
and baffle doctors. And God, if it's your will, we pray that you touch her body physically right now, that this family would see a difference, that people would wonder what's happened. God, we do pray for this family. We pray for mom and dad, for the grandparents, for those involved. We pray that you would give them strength, give them discernment, give them peace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. In this passage of scripture, we really see two people highlighted. We see Jesus, the Savior, and we see this Samaritan woman. Many of us are aware uh, of the Good Samaritan. Some, some scholars and commentators <laughs> refer to this lady as the Bad Samaritan, which I don't think is very nice, but they do. What we also see in this text in latter in verse 35 is something that was very relatable to last week's message. In the middle or at the end of this scenario, Jesus refers to the disciples and he says in verse 35, don't say that there are four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. Last week in Matthew chapter nine, we looked at what's considered probably one of the greatest missionary passages in scripture where Jesus saw the people with compassion and he looked on them as sheep without a shepherd and they were perplexed and they were scattered and he had compassion on them and he taught the need for evangelism. Here again in John chapter four, really after this dialogue, if you will, is over, he reminds his disciples, the fields are white unto harvest. And John chapter four is an example of the fields being white and ready for harvest. I need to remind you, I shared this last week, I hope this number sticks in your mind, that within two and a half miles of this church, according to poll statistics research, 77% of people, adults, 18 and over, within two and a half miles of this church, by their own admission, don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I remind you, and I'm reminded myself that the fields are white unto harvest. There are people that you go to school with, that you work with, that are in our community who are ready to be picked according to the word of God. But what's needed? Someone to go share. Someone to answer their questions. Now, I've read through this passage and studied this passage a lot, especially this week, and I've got more information than I could ever give you in 30 minutes. But I think there, what we need to see is in this passage, there are some realizations that we can be familiar with. This is going to be very practical as we think about this. People are different. You ever said that? And all people are different. That's a different statement, right? A lot of times I'll say, somebody asks me, not about y'all, because everybody here is perfect and great. But every now and then somebody say, well, what about such and such? I was like, they're just different. Anybody else say that? That doesn't sound too bad, doesn't sound too good, just different. Well, can you tell me more? No, they're just different. Go talk to them, you'll find out. 
But all of our differences make us different, and people respond to the gospel differently. People respond differently to conversations about church. Have you figured that out? You ever made anybody uncomfortable real quick and you didn't know they were going to be that uncomfortable? It was like splashing holy water on them. They started sizzling and <laughs> saying stuff. All you said was like, hey, won't you come to church with me Sunday? Like, Whoa. Then you got some that are drinking. Here's a good stat. 80%, they tell us this, um, missiologists tell us this. The 80% of people asked to go to church with a friend will say yes. Just saying. In this passage, we see the idea or the, the necessity to evangelize. The word evangelism in the Greek is actually not in Scripture. But the word comes from the same word of the gospel or good news. To evangelize, this is not really a word, is the act of gospeling. It's sharing the good news. That's to evangelize. And we've been called, we know this, in Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1, Mark chapter 16, I believe, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, go into Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. This is our commission. And in this text, I want us to look at two examples, really, of evangelists. The first one is the example of the Savior in Jesus. Notice verse 3 and 4. There is a necessity to go. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this and personalize this. Jesus was traveling. Well, he was leaving Judea, which is the southern part, Going to Galilee, the northern part, Sea of Galilee, that area, where Jesus did more miracles than most of his ministry around Galilee. But he told his disciples, I need to go through Samaria. Maybe this will help. I gave Tim a map to show you, just so you kind of get an idea. Some of your study Bibles have this. The most common way for someone to go from Jerusalem or uh, this area from Judea to Galilee would have not been to go straight. What this map doesn't show you is a lot of mountains in between. But most of the time, according to that red line, they would go east toward Jericho, cross over the Jordan River, go up the eastern shore of the Jordan River all the way until you get close to Galilee. Obviously, they didn't want to cross the Sea of Galilee, so they would cross back over before the Sea of Galilee, head into the region of Galilee. If you can see that map, you can see that Samaria is kind of in the middle of this trip. This was not a typical route to go to Galilee, straight. Yeah, the shortest distance between, between two uh, points is a straight line. But sometimes that straight line is a little more difficult, so they went the other way. This was common. Jesus said, I've got to go through Samaria. We've got to go through Samaria. I, I promise you this would have probably caused some questions among the disciples. And, and I'm, I'm a Baptist pastor, so I have to, you know, Jesus, we've never went that way before. <laughs> Jesus, are you aware of what can happen? Are you aware that it's mountainous? We've never done that before. What are you thinking? 
But please don't miss that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because there was someone there who needed a savior. Now I'm gonna try to stay on task, but sometimes we've gotta do things differently and go different places and different means to reach people because they need a savior. Now y'all know me, don't look at me so weird looking. I'm not talking about change up the church and make it dark and get strobe lights and lasers. I'm saying sometimes we gotta get out of our comfort zone and realize that everybody doesn't act like us and look like us and aren't perfect like us. And there are people that look different, talk different, dress different, don't live in the same place that need a savior. And here's the question, who's gonna go? I didn't say to a third world country, I'm saying across the street in another neighborhood or within two and a half miles of our church. Who's gonna go? The fields are wide unto harvest. Some, they're ready. Pray to the Lord of harvest that he sends laborers. I wonder if anybody prayed this week for laborers to be sent. Probably because we were scared he might call us. But maybe you did. There is a necessity for Jesus to go. He travels there, and then we notice what happens in verses five through seven. As he's there, he's tired. Here comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. I think you understand what, what are the odds? Anybody thought that? You read that? It's like, what a coincidence. Jesus shows up, he's tired, and here comes a woman. Not just to give him water, but this is the reason he went to Samaria. She is the reason he went to Samaria. This was not a coincidence. This was a divine appointment. Now, it's hard to be a Christian and not read and hear that and just for a minute say, thank God for his divine appointments. There are no coincidences with God. There are no happenstances with God. You've heard my testimony. I've heard some of your testimony. And I don't know many people who went where they got saved to get saved. I believe I'll go to church today. I haven't been in 20 years. I think I'll go today and get saved. Matter of fact, I don't think people did that. And I don't think if you did get saved that way, you might ought to recheck that. Salvation is a divine appointment. I got to tell this. There's so many new people, and and, and every now and then, I want you to hear this not because it's a story, but because it's a divine appointment. When when I was a child, uh, about nine years old, I was in Cub Scouts uh, from earlier until nine. And uh, Cub Scouts was on a Wednesday night at the Methodist Church over there beside Homestead. And uh, I liked Cub Scouts. I don't remember a lot about it, but I liked it. And it was on Wednesday night. Well, we lived literally 40 feet from the front doorsteps of Central Baptist Church, and they had royal ambassadors, RAs, on Wednesday night. Well, I wanted to go to RAs because there were some friends there. It was close to the church. They looked like they had fun. I could ride my bike across the street and go to church and then hang out. And I don't know if you've realized this as a parent, 
but you can't go to two places at the same time. Now, I know some of you parents, we're going to make it work. I'm going to take my baby, both of them. I'm going to call that Cub Scout and tell them they need to move that night for my baby to be able to go. Well, they didn't do that back then. People had sense. And so my mom, I remember my mom, my mom was not even saved at this point. When I look back, my mom was not even saved. And she said, you got to make a decision. Where are you going? I'm nine, 10 years old. Now, I was a genius at nine and 10. Not unlike most people, I was brilliant. And I don't know why, but I said, I'm going to RAs. I, I love Cub Scouts. I was currently in Cub Scouts. We were raising money doing fundraisers, selling these emergency kits for the side of the road and all that stuff to go to um, the chocolate place in Pennsylvania or wherever. Hershey, Pennsylvania. That sounds right. Hershey. Imagine that. Okay. <laughs> I had raised my money. And I said, no, I'm going to go to the RAs. And I forfeited my money and my trip. Never been to Hershey, Pennsylvania. Been bitter. No. I don't know why I did that. But randomly, on a Wednesday night, at Awana, at RAs, whoo, that was a, the gospel was taught. Holy Spirit convicted me, and I got saved. That's not, oh, you were such a bright kid, you made the right decision. No, it was a divine appointment. And God is sovereign, and he's in control. It wasn't a happenstance or random coincidence that I got saved when I got saved. And when you got saved, it wasn't random, and it wasn't a coincidence. It was a divine appointment. Later, John, Jesus says in John 4.34, to prove this point, it's, it's, there's so much here. This is like a six-week series. The disciples are also involved in this, and they're a little loony. I mean, they don't have all their stuff together. They're, they're, going, to the, they're going to the food line. They're buying food, and then they come back later in verse 34, and they're like, what are you talking to her for? And then they were like, aren't you hungry? He's like, no. Nah. Come on, you need to eat. No. Please eat. We bought groceries. And he says, my meat or my food is to do the will of the Father which is in heaven. What is he saying? His will, his job, his role, Jesus is to seek and save that which is lost. And he had a divine appointment with a lady that really took priority over everything else. And there's a message there for us. Aren't you glad that he came looking for you? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. We didn't go looking for him. How many men have I heard? I went to church because she was there and uh, I thought she won't, you know, and then I got saved. Not a bad deal. That's even better when they get the woman afterwards, but I don't know if that works out. He had a divine appointment. I want to mention something before we move on that will tie in later. The path may be difficult. Going to Samaria the way they went would have been difficult. And please don't miss this. There's not a lot of preaching here, but maybe what keeps us from going sometimes is because it's too difficult. 
Maybe it's difficult because it's not a priority. Maybe it's difficult because it's not comfortable. Maybe it's difficult because that's not how I thought we were supposed to do it. Maybe it will be difficult because it might ruffle some feathers or confuse some people, surprise some people. We'll see that in this text. The reality is it may be difficult, but there is a necessity to go. And there's a necessity to go because there was a necessity to give. Jesus said, if you knew the gift in verse 10, you would ask me, and you would say, give me a drink. And I would have given, or he would have given you living water. Jesus had to go because he had a gift. We've got to go because we have the gift that the world needs. And I've mentioned this earlier, but please get that. Don't miss this. And in the church today, in the American church today, it's easy for us to miss this reality. And it's as a pastor, as kind of getting middle-aged, or I don't know what I am now. Um, I'm not middle-aged. We had this conversation. Middle-aged, if you live to be 70, middle-aged is 35. That's the middle age. Well, I'm not living to be 100. I'm about to be 50, so I'm not middle-aged. I'm old now in my book. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the third quarter. Um, we miss this in church today because many of us grew up in church. We grew up in a Baptist church. We grew up in a conservative, you know, you know, spitting and screaming and hellfire and brimstone. And a lot of us grew up that way and in good churches. And we, we live with this assumption that everybody knows. And, and I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know right now, but maybe we need to be more aware. This world has changed. And it has changed quickly. And we woke up. Some of us, many of us woke up at 40 and 50 and 60 years of age and asked this question, what happened? And there's a lot of research and there's a lot of common sense to tell us how this happened. But kids changed Technology changed, education changed, and a lot of things changed, and it happened quick. And technology exacerbated this change. What would have been a decade change and progression, technology has compressed to where we have generations changing in the same time that five years or 10 years would have changed before. Yeah, the time is still right. We still have 12 months. We still have 365 days. But I think you see what I'm saying. Things have changed quickly. And quite honestly, the church evangelistically didn't keep up. And quite honestly, there may have been a generation that didn't do their job. And the fear is that there rises up a generation that didn't know God. Combined with how time has changed, how stuff has changed, how technology has changed. 
That's a lot to say for this truth. It's hard for us to believe that there would be a 20-year-old living within two miles of this church that has never heard the gospel. But it's a fact. It's the truth. It's hard for us to imagine, and I've used this example before, that I sit down with a 12-year-old right there where John's sitting and talk to him and, and trying to talk the gospel through him because somebody came and said, hey, can you talk to this boy? And, and I said, okay, I was saying some kind of 30,000-foot superficial stuff, and there was nothing but a blank look on his face. And I said this to a 12-year-old boy who lives in Kannapolis right there. I said, well, let's start here. You, you know John 3, 16? Based on the way he looked and the way he responded and his audible response, he had no idea. Not only the verse John 3, 16, that I was even speaking a reference to the Bible. This is the generation we're around. This is the culture we're uh, encompassed by. But we in the Baptist church, we're assuming everybody knows what we know. Everybody went to Awana. Everybody went to Bible school, and it's just changed. And don't miss this. There's some people that don't know what they need. There's some people like this lady who Jesus says, if you knew, then you would ask. And sometimes we, we come in with both barrels going hell and heaven and all that. And they're like, whoa, whoa, I don't even know where you're coming from with this. And we live in a multi-ethnical culture and multi-religious. We've got to be aware. We need to be aware that there are some people that don't know they even need a gift. I've said this so many times. People don't get saved until they know they're lost. Nobody's ever gotten saved not knowing that they were first lost. Nobody's ever looking for direction when they think they know where they're at. People need to know that there's a need. Oh, now it's just the devil testing me, but it's the third time that thing doing that. <laughs> I was trying to be funny at first. Now I'm getting a little sweaty. Let's do this. Change the tone real quick so when it does it again, it won't be that same one. That'll help me out. <laughs> People need to know that there's a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. They need to know there's a gift. They need to know it's available. And Jesus says, if you would have known, you would have asked me, and I would have given you what? Living water. So much going on, and time is kind of catching me. That phone's got me off track. That's what it is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what does it mean to have living water? We'll see her response to it in a second. It means to have abundant life. It, it, it speaks of uh, what Jeremiah talked about in the Old Testament, that, that the people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They forsook God, the fountain of living waters, the only one who can give you abundant life. And Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 10 when he's mentioning himself as the good shepherd. And he said, I came to uh, give you to be your good shepherd. Only the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I came to give you life and life more abundantly. What kind of world would we live in if people knew they needed abundant life and actually took a drink? It'd be a different world. 
I want us to notice a couple things. Just like the path can be difficult, people can be difficult. Remember John 3, Nicodemus? It was a pretty simple conversation. Jesus went straight to the point. You must be born again. Uh, how can a man, he had some questions. How can a man enter to? And he's like, no, you've got to be born of water and the spirit. And he's like, oh, okay, got you. But here, this is a long chapter. People are difficult. People can be difficult. When we talk to someone or witness to someone, it can be difficult. I'm going to fix some problems. If you'll pay attention for the next few minutes, I'm going to fix some problems. Why, what's the number one reason people say they don't witness or evangelize? Fear. I'm scared. What are you scared of? Uh, I don't know what to say. Okay. Well, that's not true. You know what to say? Okay, let's say you say it. What's the fear? Fear of rejection. Well, most men don't have that problem because we've been rejected for a long time. So we dealt with that. We're like, oh, I got that done. So I'll be fine. But I mean, throw this out there. If they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting the gospel. Don't take it personal. We've been called to tell. We're doing our job. God said do it. I want to do it. No thanks. Good talk. All right. Pray for you. You planted the seed. Fields are white under harvest. How do the fields get white under harvest? Because somebody planted a seed. And somebody's going to go and water it. Somebody's going to go and I get to pick it. Right? We're all in this together. Some people are difficult. Here's one of the fears. I don't know how to answer their questions. Okay? And here's the reality. Some people have more questions than others. Some of us can witness like Jesus, and some of us can witness, I'm going to give the punchline away, like the Samaritan. We'll get there at some point. This woman was a little difficult, but notice how Jesus handled it. I don't want us to leave here today like I can witness like Jesus. I want us to leave here today understanding that people can be challenging when we share the gospel, but there is an answer. There is a response. She had some questions. She had some confusion. She had some conviction. She believed some spiritual or religious things. Here's, look at one of the questions in verse 9. How is it that you're a Jew ask me to drink? who I'm a woman of Samaria, when you Jews have no dealings with us. There's a message here. She's saying, why are you talking to me? Don't you know the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? She asked a very simple question. It's interesting to know that Jesus really never succumbed to the social orders of the day. Jesus knew no barriers. There were no lines to cross. This would be a good 20 minutes here, but I'm not going to do it. If you look like you agree or believe it's biblical, then we'll move on. But there's no place for racism in the church. There's no place for discrimination in the church. And there is a message here and there's, a, there's lessons to learn. What was socially acceptable among the Jews and Samaritans, um, Jesus said, who cares? The woman even says, don't you know 
We don't talk. You're not supposed to be talking to me. What's interesting is that Jesus didn't even address that. Oh, I got so much to learn from Jesus. Sometimes just moving on. He doesn't even talk about this. He doesn't even address that. She had some questions. Is it all right to talk to this person, to that person? I don't know about this religion or that religion. Should I talk to them? Jesus loves all the little children, all the children of the world. Y'all know the rest? He loves everyone. And the gospel is for everyone. And we're to share from Kannapolis to the uttermost parts of the earth because the fields are white unto harvest. She asks another question that really speaks to her confusion. People sometimes will be uh, not really on the same page as us. In verse 11, you don't have anything to draw with. That's such a silly question. There, sometimes there's some conversations that you get worried about, nervous about, and it might be a very simple answer. I've got an example of a guy that I talked to years ago, and, and he, he said that um, the reason he didn't believe the Bible is because the first half contradicted the second half. After about 45 seconds, I realized he was so biblically illiterate, not being critical, he didn't know the first half was called Old Testament, the second half was called New Testament. But somehow he had developed this opinion that none of that was true because the first half contradicted the second half. And literally, over lunch, because the, the door was open, I, I said the, what I think was the most elementary truth and said, do you realize that the old half, the Old Testament, is all about the person of the new half, Jesus? And you, it was like I had literally turned on LED lights in a dark closet. And I'm sitting here thinking, I gotta be prepared. I gotta be able to, it was so simple. People are confused. People are Ignorant, lack of knowledge, biblical illiteracy is contagious and it's an epidemic. She asks silly questions. She's confused. Give me this water so I don't thirst anymore. And Jesus is talking about spiritual water. She's obviously asking for physical help to fix a spiritual need. Church, most of the people that we come in contact with that are lost, many of the people are looking for physical help that will not fix their true spiritual need. She had some convictions. This is one of the problems with witnessing today. There's a lot of people that have convictions or opinions, even religious convictions or opinions. The Samaritans were religious people. They had their own temple. They had their own priests. They even knew, based on this text that I'm going to speed through, is they knew Jesus, the Messiah, was coming. But notice that how these convictions change, or the conversation, don't miss this, when Jesus addresses 
her condition. Look at verse 16 through 19. Jesus said unto her, imagine this conversation. They're going back and forth. She's asking spiritual questions. She's asking physical questions. And Jesus says, hey, call your husband and tell him to come here. The woman said, I don't have a husband. I, I wish I would have been there to see how Jesus handled this because I read it like I would say it and it's probably not the way Jesus was saying it or thinking. But I see it like he's like, yeah, yeah I know. You said right. Good answer, lady. When you said you have no husband. You've had five and the one you're living with is not your husband. Notice this in verse 19. The woman does confess to her condition. Remember I said earlier, no one ever gets saved without knowing they're lost. No one ever gets saved without knowing they need to be saved. No one's ever been saved that doesn't acknowledge they're a sinner and in need of salvation. And this woman does confess that this is true. She basically says, how did you know that? I perceive you're a prophet. Later we see her confession manifest when she goes into town and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She's confessing, you're right about me. I am messed up. But notice this, this is intriguing at best. When she's confronted with her condition, she suddenly changes the subject to, from her immoral lifestyle to a religious controversy that existed between the Jews and Samaritans. Listen to what she says in verse 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. If you're reading this and you just kind of skim over it like, that makes no sense. She kind of deflects. And don't miss this. This is, this, the burden's on the church. The world knows about our religious squabbles and squirmishes, our arguments. The world knows if churches don't agree on things. And this lady says, hey, I know y'all don't agree with us on such and such, such and such. There was a, a debate going on about religious worship, where to worship at. She changes the subject. Notice what Jesus says in verse 23. The hour is coming, and now is when worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. Jesus identifies what a true worshiper is, and that's a person who worships in spirit and in truth in genuine consideration for who God is. Not about the place. There's actually a very theological answer that Jesus gives here. He says, you don't worship what you know, but the hour is coming and now is. This is a unique expression where Jesus speaks of future, the future expectation of his return, but hey, I'm here now. What is he saying? Today's the day of salvation. If you're here and you're lost, today's the day of salvation. There is a future expectation of Jesus returning, but he's here now. And salvation is available now. True worshipers understand that Jesus is the way. 
the truth, and the life. I want to note after church, somebody telling me who that is. Find out if it's somebody that's deaf or just hates my guts. I know the Messiah is coming, she says. When he comes, he'll tell, don't miss this, please, verse 26. Because Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. You know what Jesus just said to her? He's, he's not only acknowledging that he's the Messiah, which was rare for him to do. He's saying a little more. He's saying, and some of you churchgoers will appreciate this, King James fleshes it out this way. I that speak unto thee am he. Probably wouldn't use that this week. Here's what he's saying. The I am is speaking to you. This Samaritan knew what that meant. Jesus is saying, I am the I am. Remember what he said to Moses at the burning bush? Uh, the I am. I am he. I am that I am. Jesus is saying to this woman, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection and life. I'm the true vine. I'm the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He's saying, as he said in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. She had met the I am. She was a little confused, but Jesus had the answer. She was thirsty, but he had the water she needed. This is very preachy and very simple. Church, there's a lot of thirsty people in our lives. Many of them know they're thirsty. They just need to be offered the right water. We see the example of the Savior, and this is the conclusion. Everybody say amen. The example of the Samaritan. You say, oh, another point? No, I'm going to wind it down. Just as Jesus had the necessity to go and the necessity to give, this woman, this Samaritan, also had the same necessities. She had to go in verse 28. She left her water pot, went her way. She had been, she had just been witnessed to by Jesus. She had just met the Messiah. She had just met the one who knew her condition. She had just acknowledged her condition, and she says, I gotta go. Why did she have to go? She had something to give. She went into town, and she said, some people switch this up a little just because of a word, and it says she went and told the men, um, she told the people, she told the community. I've heard this go off in a wayward direction before. In verse 29, she said, come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? She's not really questioning. She's asking them, but she's acknowledging that he is Christ. He is the Messiah. She knows it. She believes it. And now she's telling people. Notice, notice this. The Samaritan woman immediately felt the urgency 
to share with her community what she had just experienced. She didn't go to evangelism classes. She had no discipleship. Not saying we don't evangelize, don't saying we don't disciple. She had something to give. This is gonna sound very obvious, but if you're a born-again believer, you've got something to give. She had her testimony to give. This is old as time. Why do I tell people? I don't know what to tell people. Romans Road, love, peace, and not. No, tell them what you experienced. Tell them you met Jesus. Tell them how he changed your life. She had a testimony she had to give, and she said, come see a man. Come meet this guy. I used to tell our youth this, and I, I told you this. Uh, if you're scared to talk to somebody, at least invite them to come see somebody. You don't know what to say, at least invite them to church. So at least invite them to church. Can they meet Jesus on Highway 29? Yeah. We don't walk anymore. That's probably not a good example. But he's going to be here on Sunday. And we're going to talk about him on Sunday. And you can say, hey, come see a man who changed my life. Come see a man who knew everything about me. Where can I meet him at? Uh, come to Central Baptist Church on Sunday. He'll be there. She did just that. Nobody had to tell her. Nobody had to train her. She just said, hey, I'm so excited about what's happened in my life. Come see him. I wonder if we've forgotten what happened to us sometimes. We get so caught up in the when and where and how and the moment that we forget or maybe we need reminded of what really happened. That you were lost, that I was lost in our sins without hope. Headed for what the Bible calls hell. Eternally separated from him forever without a chance of reconciliation. Lost in sins and trespasses. But in God's sovereignty, there was a divine appointment. And somebody said yes to telling you or telling me about the person they had met. And our life was changed forever. And we have hope beyond this life. We have peace that surpasses all human understanding. Maybe sometimes we forget really what's happened and the excitement and the joy that goes along with that. Maybe we need to start seeing people like Jesus with compassion and seeing them lost and hopeless and helpless and do as simple or as simply as this woman. Just go tell somebody what happened. Who's to know if the seed has not already been planted weeks, months, years before and you're the divine appointment to come along and harvest the crop. Or who's to know you're not planting the seed for the first time? And they say, ah, I might come, I might whatever, I'm, let me think about it. And then the Holy Spirit of God goes to work in their heart and their life. 
and the next person the next week or two weeks later, two months later at work or at school or wherever it comes by and waters it a little. The field is white unto harvest because there's been some planting, there's been some watering. And we're all in this together. Notice the response to the city. I love this part. In verse 39 through 42, you see how they respond. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. Why? For the saying of the woman. Who was this woman? Scholar? She'd been to Bible school? She probably got a certificate for quoting the Beatitudes of Bible. No, she'd never been in. She was living in sin. We know all about her if we've been in church for a while and just how horrible of a person she was. And now she goes into the town that knew her and people come. And it says many believed because of her. I can't convict a heart, only God can. But I wonder, just wonder, no answer needed, how many people have believed because of the testimony of me? Or how many people have believed because of the testimony of you? Or how many people need to hear the testimony of me and of you? I know God's commissioned us to do it. He expects us to do it. And if this Samaritan woman who'd never been to a Baptist church can do it, I think we can probably do a much better job. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that's so clear. Thank you for the examples you give us in Scripture, the model that you are of how we should live, how we should share the gospel. Thank you for the testimony of the Samaritan woman who had her life radically changed and wanted to tell somebody. Certainly our prayer is that we are convicted to do the same. While we're praying, before we sing, have an invitation. Real quick, a couple questions that are obvious. If you're a believer, are you sharing the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel the way we should? The way you should? What's expected is we, we as a church, are we doing it? Let me ask this to just be specific. You teenagers in school, do your friends know your testimony? Do they know who you are? So well, I live a pretty good life. I don't do this and this and this like them. Do they know that you're born again? Have they ever heard that you've been saved and how that happened and why that happened? Certainly wouldn't just pick on the kids. How about us adults? The person in the cubicle next to you that you talk to about everything under the sun know your testimony? The person you see every day, they think they know everything about you, that they know that you're born again.
you're here today and you've never been born again. Maybe today's the first time you realize your condition, you're lost in your sin and need salvation. Maybe today's the first time you've recognized, maybe through conviction of the Holy Spirit, that you can be born again. There's a gift of salvation. It's a free gift by God's grace and his mercy. The day would be the day you call on him and be saved. Acknowledging your lost, acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and making him Lord of your life today. Would you stand as we sing? Altars are open. If you want to come to an altar, if you want someone to pray with you, you can do that as we sing. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.